welcome into the Future Sox podcast. My name is Elijah Evans, and I am here with a brand new edition of the Future Sox Roundup. We are kind of taking a new step this year and adjusting the roundup a little bit. We're super excited for all the content we're going to be bringing. As always, this is all minor league focused on the roundup here. So we kind of talk through every week, each level of minor leagues, different players to keep an eye on, different things to watch out for. Um, we're going to be doing that starting today all the way through this entire season focused on you know the entire farm system for the White Sox. And I'm fortunate enough to be joined by a new guest host. So from now on, you will get me and Jeff Cohen. Jeff Cohen is our guy on the ground. He's in Charlotte. He attends a lot of night games as well as, you know, games in Winston-Salem and Kannapolis. So he gets a firsthand view, which is a really valuable experience at all of these players that we're going to be talking about here on the podcast. Uh, Jeff, how's it going? Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Elijah. Thanks so much. I'm thrilled to join you this season. We should have a lot of fun. Yeah, we're gonna we're really looking forward to it. So we're gonna we're gonna get a little bit of uh, just kind of an overview of things going on today on the podcast. Um, first, I want to give Jeff a chance to talk a little bit more about himself. But today, just as a preview, we're gonna be kind of going through the 2023 draft class, looking over the players that the White Sox drafted last summer, and breaking down you know where each of the top guys are gonna be going to start the season most likely, and what we kind of have seen from them so far, and what we expect to see from them going into this season. And then we're gonna transition into talking about some of the upper minors guys who we expect to make an impact with the White Sox in 2024. So these are guys that, you know, we've seen in the minor leagues already. We know what they're capable of, some of the top prospects in the system, and guys that we really expect to make an impact at the major league level as soon as this season. Um, so before we get to that, though, Jeff, well, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about, you know, last season, how was everything for the White Sox organization last year, whether it was Charlotte or Kannapolis and Winston uh, for you? All right. So, Elijah, I joined Future Sox in 2020, which, of course, was the COVID season or the non-season. So it got off to a bit of an auspicious start, but uh, we resumed in full in 2021. And at the time, I only covered uh, the nights. I live in Charlotte. In fact, I live like four blocks from the ballpark. And um, and that was great. But uh, as you know, the last couple of years have been really rough for the Knights. They really haven't had any prospects, and uh, they ran out of pitching both last season and 2022, and uh, it was brutal to watch. Uh, last year, I, I just kind of hit a wall. I, I had seen so much bad minor league baseball, quite honestly, that I said, I cannot do this six days a week. So uh, at that point, I pivoted and started going to Winston-Salem and Kannapolis, and I am so thrilled that I did because those teams were so interesting and just loaded with prospects. I mean, the last couple of draft classes have been very interesting, and uh, those guys are now in Winston-Salem and Kannapolis and a lot of fun to, um, to get to know. One of the things that I get to do covering the team yeah, which I think is really more important than going to the games is going to batting practice because you can watch the guys up close and you can talk to them. And guys in low A and high A, they're happy to talk to you. They're friendly. They'll answer your questions. You know, the guys in Charlotte, they're friendly and they're helpful, but they're primarily major league veterans and um, you know, it's not going to be quite as compelling. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. And this year I'm really looking forward to trying to cover all three teams again as much as possible, or at least to get to uh, to each affiliate once a week to uh, talk to players and get a yeah. look at uh, some of the new faces. We are really fortunate to have you out there for all those teams because, you know, as many of our listeners may know, 
fortunately, this season uh, appears to be a lot more exciting in Charlotte. There's a lot of guys who were part of the really talented Birmingham squad down the stretch last year that are expected to be in Charlotte this year. So we should have, you know, a little bit more intrigue at Charlotte. And then in addition to a lot of the guys we're about to discuss at, at Kannapolis and Winston-Salem, a lot of the younger prospects in the system that are at those levels that we're going to continue to have an eye on throughout the entire season. And we're fortunate to have you there to see it in person. So for everybody listening, our, our new co-host is Jeff Cohen. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at, at triple A Jeff. He is going to have tons of content all season from all three of those levels. And we're going to be right here to talk about it every week on the roundup. So we're, we're really excited and we hope everybody will stick around for, for Jeff and I throughout the season. Um, without further ado though, let's get into our topic for today. Um, we're talking 2023 draft class. The White Sox had by all means a really exciting draft this past year, kind of a, a blend of some of the more experienced college guys early in the draft. And then some really exciting young projects later in the draft. Um, these guys are kind of, we didn't get a ton of, innings from some of the players at the minor league level last year but there was a handful of guys who played some games at Kannapolis and had some good showings um, and then there was other guys who were playing mostly in Arizona at rookie ball and now we're going to get to see them this next year transition into you know full season minor leagues and and see from there where it all takes us let's start with you know first round pick Jacob Gonzalez who's a shortstop out of Old Miss um, you know, Gonzalez struggled a bit out of the gate last year. He's a really advanced college bat. The, the selling point with him was that he's going to move to the system quickly. The hit tool is there. The defensive position is still a little unclear. He came in as a shortstop. Not certain he's going to stick there. Um, but, you know, a, a left-handed hitter with, with a lot of overall ability at the plate. And I think this is a guy who we are really excited to see what he can do because, you know, 123 at-bats last year, uh, 593 LPS, not exactly what you want to see. But again, that's that's a really small taste. Um, you know, this is his first full year to really get used to the routine of professional baseball and get into his rhythm. And we're excited to see what he has in store. What are your thoughts on Gonzalez from the little bit you've seen so far and just from reading up about him coming out of college? Sure. Uh, you know, his reputation was, yeah, 50-grade hitter, I believe, uh, was his uh, ranking by fan graphs. Supposedly a really high-contact hitter, a discipline, disciplined hitter, um, great bat-to-ball skills. Well, we didn't really see a lot of that in uh, his brief time in Kannapolis last year. But, you know, Elijah, I totally discount last season. That doesn't phase me in the least because – it had been a really long year for um, Gonzalez last year, yep. and it was his first taste of pro ball, and that can be overwhelming. And he might have been feeling some pressure, but he's now had the entire offseason to adjust. And so I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to see something that looks a lot more like a first-round pick in um, 2024. Yeah, I feel the exact same way. I think Gonzalez was not necessarily the top of my board for, you know, first round picks last year going into the draft. But ultimately, I, I think that there's a lot more to tap into. And I think you really just got to get him a full season. I expect him to start at Kannapolis, but there's a good chance he's in Winston before you know it, just because, you know, he he is an older prospect, right? He's going to be 22 um, next year, this coming. He's already, I think he's going to be 22 soon. So I think that's a guy who I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him in Winston sooner than later. Um, he'll probably start in Kannapolis, like I said, but I expect him to be a high A player for the majority of the season. Um, and someone that, you know, if things go well for him, we could see him in Birmingham as soon as next year. So I, I think it's going to be really fun to watch him in a full season, get more comfortable, look like himself and look like the hitter that we saw in college. Uh, moving forward, you know, the, the next two guys were pitchers. The first one was college pitchers. The next, the first one was uh, Grant Taylor, who was recovering from surgery and didn't pitch at all last season. So we haven't gotten to see anything from Taylor yet. 
Um, I think he's still going to be working his way back. I, I expect him to probably start at rookie ball in Arizona just because he's working off the surgery, Tommy John. Um, so that's a guy who a ton of upside. Uh, we saw it at LSU. I remember watching him in the College World Series a few a while back, and he was he, he showed a lot um, in his time at LSU and a guy that could be a really powerful pitcher. Um, so I think he is someone that we're going to have an eye on this year. Um, I think it's going to they're going to ease him in. Obviously, he'll be on an innings count. So there's not much to go off on Taylor so far because we haven't seen him pitch within the organization. But I do expect him to be someone that, you know, by midseason, we're looking at him and he's going to be back in pitching shape. And we're going to be able to see hopefully some games in Kannapolis from him um, later in the season and a guy who, you know, has a ton of upside. And then the other one is uh, Seth Keener, who is a third round pick that I, I was able to talk to. You can go check out on our, our network. We have an interview with him from in the season after he got drafted. Um, you know, he had a really nice start to the season, end of the season. I'm not sure if you got to watch Keener or talk to him at all um, in Kannapolis, but his first game in Kannapolis coming off of a few games in rookie ball, he struggled, gave up five runs. And then his last two starts of the season bounced back with five and a third innings, uh, four hits allowed and no runs over those last two starts, including seven strikeouts in those six in less than six innings. So that's a guy who, you know, is a really well-rounded pitcher from everything I've seen. And he talked to me about how he was developing a few new pitches with the White Sox once he got drafted. So he's kind of tweaking a few of his pitch shapes and moving things around and in general, just someone that I have high hopes for. Um, I'm really excited to see him in Kannapolis this year. And considering that he's 22, another guy that I think will have, will be in Winston at some point this season, for sure. What are your thoughts? Yeah, on those you're two? right. Both these guys are really exciting. And, and before I talk about them, let me give you a shameless plug because <laughs> folks, if you haven't been following Elijah, you really should. He spent a week in uh, Birmingham at the end of last season and had a lot of great interviews with tons of um highly regarded players for the White Sox. And then on top of that, this offseason, you've been talking to a lot of players, I guess primarily pitchers. Um, and uh, those have been great interviews as well. These guys have been really forthcoming, and uh, I enjoyed listening to those. So I appreciate, I appreciate all that. I appreciate that, Jeff. Thank you. Sure. It's, uh, it's I really exciting. enjoyed it. Fortunately, we have a lot of really awesome individuals within this farm system that are willing to talk and willing to just share things about themselves. So I've been really lucky to talk to many of those guys. Um, getting back on track, what do you, have you seen, did you get to see Keener? Um, and if not, do you have any thoughts on, you know, kind of what type of pitcher he is? I did. I, unfortunately, I did not get to see Seth pitch. Um, but both these guys are real exciting. Uh, Grant Taylor, one of the things that I really like about him is he's 6'3", 230. He's got a starting pitcher's frame. I really like that. Both of these guys are really highly pedigreed. Taylor from LSU, Keener from Wake Forest. Uh, they both uh, had great college careers, and you're right. Um, we could see them move quickly, especially uh, once Taylor gets a sufficient number of innings under his belt. You know, yeah. Peyton Paulette, uh, one of the guys that we'll talk about um, maybe next, this week or next, um, he's one of the guys who came back from um, – Tommy John surgery. I think he got uh, 22 starts this year. Yeah. So, you know, it, it might not be like the kind of treatment we saw with Noah Schultz, where it's 20 pitches, yeah. 30 pitches, 38 pitches. Um, so hopefully um, he'll get, you know, a lot of, he'll um, be back up to speed for the second half of the season and be in that rotation every fifth day. Yeah, I think we're going to get a little bit of a, a mixture somewhere in between Paulette and, and Schultz, I would say is pretty accurate. But I, I think you're right. I think, you know, Keener is a guy that we could see in the in the Winston rotation sooner than later. And I think when he's recovered, Taylor should be in the Kannapolis rotation pretty soon, frankly. So uh, those guys are going to be really exciting. And considering their age and considering they both pitched at kind of the highest level of college baseball, they could definitely move through the system quickly. 
Um, moving on to our next guy, the fourth round pick from the White Sox is Calvin Harris, um, who ended up being the the primary catcher down the stretch in the last month of the season for Kannapolis. And he should start there once again. You know, this is a guy with a really advanced approach. We saw it immediately, um, you know, being someone who is he's, he's 22 and he played at uh, Ole Miss as well with Jacob Gonzalez. And this is a guy who, you know, in his first 30 games of professional baseball in Kannapolis, 20 walks to 23 strikeouts. So nope. you don't love the 23 strikeouts, but this is a guy who's really patient, has a really sophisticated approach for a young hitter, and he's a catcher, right? And he's shown a lot of flashes of solid defense behind the plate. He came in as a guy who you you want him to stick at catcher. So I expect him to start the season as the opening day catcher for Kannapolis, and he should be their catcher you know, with some of these pitchers as well, where he can develop that rapport with some of the other draft picks. Um, and he's someone who should be the everyday catcher at Kannapolis for a while uh, until he might be ready at Winston, frankly. So it, he's, you know, there's there's kind of... Weirdly enough, I know a year or two ago, I remember looking at the system and saying the White Sox don't have a lot of catching depth because there was no catching depth. Now you look at a system with an, led by an Edgar Caro. You've got you know a handful of guys at the upper levels that are solid, experienced catchers. You've got a Michael Turner who really impressed last year at Winston-Salem. And you've got a guy like Calvin Harris at Kannapolis now. So you at every level, there's a catcher that you want to keep an eye on right now. So I think because of those guys blocking him almost, Harris will probably spend most of the year at Kannapolis, really working on that defense especially and continuing to kind of hone in on his power because this is a guy who you know, you'd like to see him tap into more power. He had one home run last year, but again, it's 30 games. I'm not putting too much stock into that. Uh, but he's someone that I think, you know, should be catching almost every day in Kannapolis, and it's going to be exciting to watch him. Yeah, I agree. I think um, I think Edgar Cuero holds the key. As soon as he moves to Charlotte, yep. I think yep. Turner goes to Birmingham yep. and uh, Harris is on his way to Winston-Salem. You're exactly right. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, when I was, um, I went to Winston-Salem for the first time last year and spoke with Guillermo Quiroz, the manager, who was back again this year. And Guillermo, the first guy he pointed out to me was uh, Michael Harris. He just, he couldn't say enough great things about him. And the guy's a gamer. He's tough. He's he's already become a team leader. Uh, he's just plays so hard and you're right the 20 walks and 23 strikeouts that's fantastic for his first uh, introduction to pro ball yeah yeah definitely no that's a guy we're going to keep an eye on and he had really solid uh, hard hit rates and contact rates as well especially for a catcher who's you know not a not an offensive premium position um, I think he's someone that if he can continue to kind of elevate a little bit more he has a ground ball tendency at times but I think if he starts elevating the ball a little more that's someone we're gonna be really excited to see um, you know, the next guy is a, a Christian Opper, who was a kind of a strange pick. He was someone that was drafted previously, went to community college and ended up getting drafted again by the White Sox. Um, but this time in the fifth round to a, you know, in a higher slot than he was originally drafted. Um, and the White Sox snagged him as a 19 year old guy um, who was, you know, played at junior college, but looked really, really impressive. Um, I got to, I got a few clips. I think there's not much on him. He only pitched a rookie ball last year as a 19 year old, um, but I was able to check out a few clips of him. And in, you know, in, in seven and two-thirds innings, right, this is super limited scale, but seven and two-thirds inning, he only allowed one run uh, while striking out nine batters. So this is a guy who's got some stuff. Uh, he's he's definitely somebody to keep an eye on and someone that we are excited to see what he can do because I think he's someone who just is a, a little bit of an unknown uh, to many fans and to many people that follow because he wasn't at a high-level college. He wasn't a top high school prospect. Um, but this is a guy who's got a ton of upside and a lot of arm talent and someone at only 19 with, you know, that Juco experience is someone that we're going to keep an eye on. And I think, you know, after five games throwing in, in rookie ball last year, he should be in Kannapolis as well. It's pretty early on in the season, if not immediately. 
Right. And uh, 6'2", 175 pounds, so really slender, can probably put a lot of weight on. Yeah. And as he, and he's already with a three-quarter arm slot fastball. It's 92 to 96. Uh, so, you know, we could see that bump up a tick or two as he gets bigger and older. You know, he's a lefty. Maybe he's got the uh, reliever profile, but that's great. Uh, you know, we could uh, always use a dominating lefty coming out of the pen. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not the worst case, and I think they're going to try him as a starter, and they'll see what happens. I think it could be a reliever profile, like you said, long term, but there's a chance he could stick as a starter. He's got plenty of time and age on his side um, in that regard. Um, one of the next guys we'll talk on is is a favorite of mine and someone that I've gotten to talk to a few times, and it's just a really class act. Uh, George Walkow was uh, he's drafted at 17 years old, the youngest player in the entire draft. Uh, you know, finished high school in three years in order to get drafted. He was ranked as, the, I believe, the sixth best prospect for his draft class, what should have been his draft class next year coming out of high school, um, and kind of, you know, gave up his last year of high school and decided he was ready to go to the draft. I did a great interview with him, another one you can find on the network, and he's a guy who just incredibly determined. The the ability at 17 years old to decide at 16 to only do three years of high school because you were ready to get after it and ready to get to work is something that is, it's just really incredible. Uh, it's not something you see in, in baseball or in any sport very often. Um, and, you know, this is someone who's six, seven uh, outfielder, just a ton of power, a ton of natural strength. Um, he's climbing up my, my top 30 prospect list for the White Sox because I do believe that his upside at the plate is, frankly, as high as almost anybody in the system, not named Colson Montgomery. Um, I mean, there's obviously a lot of ifs. There's a lot of figuring out a swing, use, learning how to use his body fully in the right ways. You know, it's a lot of length, so the swing can get a little long at times. But 17, Jeff, he's 17, and he's 6'7", right. Seven, right? I yeah. mean, there, there's six, really... 6'7", 240. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, this is a dude. I mean, that's, that's um, this, huge. That's a linebacker. Yeah, this guy's huge, um, and he's got a ton of upside. And I think, you know, in terms of just pure potential at the plate um he's someone that is is up there with the best of him he played 13 games last year at rookie ball uh with a with a 717 ops so not a ton right but he, he had some nice walks he had you could see the power was there um he ended up finishing the season at Canapolis. didn't play a game he was on the dev list but he got that experience of being around the guys in Canapolis. and you know he's 18 going into the season he might start a rookie ball again just because he is so young. I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to hone in on that swing and just work on the mechanics and stuff. But, you know, at some point next year, he'll, I think he'll reach Canapolis at, at 18 years old, which is really incredible. Um, and I think this is a guy who we're going to be very closely watching all season. Um, I'm hopefully going to have another interview with him at some point throughout the season. Um, and he's just, you know, as, in terms of upside, it's just, this is about as much upside as you can possibly get in a, in a high school draft yeah. pick. Really exciting. I do hope we yeah. get to see him for the second half of the season. That's going to be yeah. fun. I mean, he's got such bat speed and such power. For him, it's all about making contact. If he can get the bat on the ball, that ball's going to go a long way. So, yeah, fingers yeah. crossed that we see him in Kannapolis. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, there's a few other guys here we're going to touch on briefly, um, and then I, I know we'll definitely get to some of these other guys in the future. You know, Eddie Park is an outfielder from Stanford who looked kind of, you know, experienced last year. I know you got to see him a little bit at Kannapolis. This is a guy who's an older college prospect. Um, Jake Peppers is a pitcher out of Jacksonville State, who's another guy with a lot of experience. He was really impressive in the Cape Cod League, kind of elevated his draft stock and became a guy that the White Sox were ready to take a chance on in the ninth round. Um, and then you move over to some of the later round picks. And there was some really fun picks in the later rounds. Uh, Riku Nishida is a, is a Japanese infielder out of Oregon, who's a guy who, you know, was just a 
absolute on-base machine, kind of a Nick Madrigal-esque, if you will. Uh, a lot of speed, a lot of contact, someone we're going to continue to watch. And then Matthias Lacumbe, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, is a really interesting prospect um, out of France. And he pitched in uh, at a small school, Cochise uh, College, um, someone who kind of just was incredible at JUCO. Um, his strikeout rates were unbelievable, and he's very, you know, raw, very kind of another guy who's not quite known publicly and does not as much tape on him as some of these big college guys, um, but someone with a lot of upside and has actually kind of risen through the White Sox prospect rankings from what I've been seeing. I've even seen him recently on a few top 30 lists for the White Sox, um, and he's just another another arm to keep an eye on. There's a handful of other guys we can mention as well, but those are some of the other, you know, later round picks that stand out to me, and, and this whole draft class is looking really deep. I mean, there's just a lot of depth and there's a lot of guys who who were able to play in Canapolis towards the end of the year. You know, Ryan Galani, Edric Felix were two other guys who ended up making appearance, two infielders that made appearances in the minors last year. Um, and just a lot of a lot of depth in this draft class. And I'm just really excited to see all of these players continue to develop this year. And all those guys I mentioned are, are candidates to to be in Canapolis pretty much off the bat. Right. A couple of thoughts. One, I got yeah. to see yeah. Eddie Park and uh, Rikui Nishida and also a guy who surprised a lot of folks was Ryan Galaney. Yes. Um, yes. Who was the uh, 13th round pick. Um, I think third baseman out of Wofford. Yep. Uh, he, uh, he really uh, turned a lot of heads. He was, he hit the ball hard in his brief uh, time in Kannapolis. Nishida, to, frankly, Elijah, I don't know what to make of him. I, I've just <laughs> never seen someone like with that game, in the minor leagues before uh he's five six 150 pounds he's a slap hitter um he's got great back control if they if the third baseman makes the mistake of playing back he'll uh, he'll drop the bunt down and most right. likely beat it out if the guy if the third baseman moves in he's going to try and just slap it past him or just maybe try and slap it in the hole and then beat the throw the first base he doesn't hit the ball hard at all but a lot of speed i think he'd be a great guy to come off the bench if you could afford that luxury but uh, yeah he's going to be fun to watch I'm, I'm curious to see how his game develops and what the white Sox choose to do with him to make him a little more of a professional player and something that you know might have a, a future in the major leagues i don't know yeah. but it's going to be interesting to watch i, I saw think, eddie uh, park a lot yeah. and um Eddie's, uh, you know, he had some great stats. Uh, he had 12 walks to 19 strikeouts, and I think that's kind of consistent. He was among the walk leaders in the Pac-12, and, uh, you know, he profiles as a center fielder, so he doesn't have to have the big power. He needs to have the uh, on-base percentage, which which he looked like he has. He's got a good glove, good speed, so he's going to be another guy who's going to be fun to watch next year in Kannapolis, but he, he's interesting. Yeah. Um, and then one last thought, um, you know, we're talking about how interesting the draft class is, and it truly is. But um, add into that the uh, the class that came up from the DSL last year. Yeah, um, 100%. We, including Lloyd Chappelle, who they who they skipped Kannapolis and put him in Winston-Salem. Ronnie yeah. Hernandez, who he didn't get. I don't think he got any game action, but he did was on the development list in Kannapolis. Yep. Ryan Burroughs also on the development list. Uh, Eric Hernandez, Godwin Bennett. I spoke to Andy Barquette, who at the time was head of minor league hitting, and he said he thought it was the best group 
of players to come out of the Dominican in any class he's ever seen. And he spent more than a decade down there. So, uh, yeah. so you, you add those guys into this interesting draft class and there's a lot of potential, a lot of interesting guys. Yeah, there's a hundred, you're a hundred percent right. I think Barois is a guy that's been on a lot of people's radar and all those other names you mentioned as well. Hernandez is a guy that's climbed onto prospect lists. Um, and then you've got a guy like Javier Magolan, I believe is the name. Uh, right, right. Um, who's a guy that was unbelievable in the DSL last year, just ridiculously off the charts numbers. Um, so he should be making his way over stateside this year, hopefully as well uh, from Venezuela. He's only 18 years old, but an infielder um, and a guy that just has shown a ton of upside uh, at the DSL level. So once we get some looks at him, hopefully this season, that's another guy that's essentially not a draft pick, but essentially, you know, starting his, you know, stateside career this coming season. So there's a lot to like at the lower levels. And I think, you know, in future episodes, uh, Jeff and I are going to break down kind of each level starting next week. And we're going to kind of go level by level and talk about the, the key guys to watch out for and what the team's going to look like and, you know, kind of stuff like that. So we are going to have a lot more content on that side. Um, but for now, let's shift over to, to the current team, because I know people are kind of, we're turning the corner, right? Spring training's in less than a month. So we're kind of getting ready to gear up for the season. Um, and, you know, last year was not what anybody wanted from the White Sox. We don't have to get into that too much. I, I've talked about that plenty on earlier editions of this podcast last season with Mike Rankin. And, uh, you know, we have acknowledged, <laughs> right? It's a, it was frustrating. It was hard to be a White Sox fan last year. And I, and I get that, right? But there is a, there's some value in just being okay with that and focusing in on this next year and going into it with a positive outlook and looking forward to some of the players that we're going to get to see for the first time in Chicago, because there is a lot of guys that are really exciting and, and, you know, we're going to get to see some of these prospects finally make their way. I think last year it was kind of just like, you're almost buying time for some of these players. That's what it felt like to me at least was like, you've got a bunch of these guys you either traded for the deadline or you've been developing in your system that just weren't quite ready for the big leagues. And that's okay. But we ended up in a situation where you've got a lot of players playing down the stretch last year that really weren't expected to be big league pieces for the future. This year, that's not the case. We, we've got some guys knocking on the door that despite some of the, you know, they, the White Sox have added a bunch of low-cost veterans um, in the offseason this year, which is about what we expected. I think the idea is you add some veterans, you fill some holes, you can flip some guys at the deadline, you can keep some guys around if they click, you can let guys go if they don't click. That's kind of just how it goes when you're in a, a semi-rebuild or a retool, if you want to call it that. Um, but, you know, despite those ads, like there's players that are going to be forcing their way to the major leagues this year. And we're, I'm really excited to watch some of these guys. And I think that there's not only going to like, we're not only going to see these players, there's some players that are going to make a real impact on this team. So we're going to start it off with uh, one of my personal favorites, another guy that I talked to this off season, uh, by far the longest interview of any interview I did this year, because he loves talking pitching. Uh, and that is Nick Nestrini, uh, who was acquired in the Lancelin Joe Kelly deal at the deadline. And Nestrini split his time at the end of the season between Birmingham. I got to see him in Birmingham, talked to him there. And then he made his way to Charlotte at the end of the year for more, I didn't believe either four or five starts to finish the season in Charlotte. Um, and this is a guy who's, I mean, he's just about as big league ready as you can get. I think because of the recent additions to the rotation, some of the vet ads, there's a chance he starts in AAA and quickly makes his way. But I still think there's a good shot he cracks the rotation on opening day just because there's a lot of uncertainties. You know, Kopech, it's, is he going to be a starter still? Is he going to shift to the bullpen? You've got newcomers like Soroka, who's coming off of, you know, all of his injuries coming in. And Fetty, who's another newcomer who's going to be locked in, still uncertain what's happening with Dylan Cease. There's a chance he gets traded. There's a chance he stays around till the deadline. It seems more likely he'll be around to the deadline, but you no, know, Nestrini's a guy that 
is just a ton of upside. The flat, the fastball is phenomenal. Um, he works the slider really well. He's continued to develop his changeup. His changeup is probably the best in the system at this point. Um, and he's just very cerebral. He's 23 years old. He'll be 24 on opening day. Um, and that's someone who, you know, Dodgers system, right? The Dodgers system is, is known for developing pitching. They do it every year. They continue to do it. They churn out pitchers in that system. Um, Nestrini is someone, you know, 139 strikeouts across 114 and two thirds innings last year. So he's got the innings, his arms ready. Uh, I, I think Nestrini's in the rotation at the latest by May. You're right. If he's not in the, uh, if he's not in Chicago uh, by June, something's yeah. really wrong. There's a, because uh, you're right. He is a great interview. I had a chance to talk yeah. to him in Charlotte. He's so cerebral. He just knows pitching inside and out. He was citing all his spin rates and uh, he's just on top of it. Uh, yeah. And again, you're right. One of those former Dodgers. I mean, it, they just know how to develop pitching. And I'm just thrilled that, uh, that the uh, White Sox were able to flip uh, Lance Lynn for Nestrini and another big arm, Jordan Leisure, who I know yep. we're going to talk about shortly. Um, yes, sir. Those are two, two exciting arms. And you're right. Nestrini, I mean, he could be the next Dylan Cease. I mean, he can, he can end up at the top of the rotation. Yeah, I think there's there's a world where Nestrini really clicks. I think it's just going to come down to the command for him, and he he knows that. I think he's been working on that. Um, his stuff is incredibly powerful. You know, in his last four starts of the year and his first four starts in AAA, he he only gave up ten hits. He walked ten guys though, so that's that's kind of the give and take with him. I think he he does force a lot of strikeouts. He is really effective with his off speed stuff, and his fastball is is really hard. I mean, he's got that upper nineties fastball that he can hit. It moves. It kind of he's really good at locating the high fastball. I think that's something that when he came into the league it was one of the strengths of dylan cease and he's adjusted a little bit over time but nestrini is a guy that can really poach those upper corners with his fastball and it can just be incredibly hard to even to get to some of his pitches um this is a guy who i watched him just dominate one of his starts in birmingham um and he continued to have a few good starts like that in charlotte so with nestrini it really comes down to the location i think his his pitches his pitch mix is great they move really well he doesn't really have to adjust much of his, his movement profiles his pitch shapes i think a lot of that is pretty much intact for him and it's really just going to come down to how much he can command it and, and consistently command it at the highest level. So I, I expect him to be in Chicago pretty soon, if not opening day, like we both said. Um, and he's yep. someone that, you know, I, I want to see 20 plus starts at the major league level out of him this year. You don't want to burn out his arm, but again, he's 24 years old. He's ready to go. This is a guy who's, yep. he's, he's ready. This is two off season. This is two seasons in a row, you know, with between the Dodgers organization and our, and the White Sox organization, the past two seasons, he has over 230 innings between the last, between 2022 and 2023. Like this guy's ready. Uh, we can leave it at that. I'm excited to see him. Hopefully we'll have him back on the podcast at some point. He is just great to talk to knows a ton of baseball. Um, and like you said, let's, let's transition right into his, you know, former Dodger teammate who he came over with in the trade, Jordan leisure. This is a guy who is a reliever, not a starter, um, but Jordan leisure is, a rare reliever who's like in the top 15 prospects arguably within the organization because he's that good he has closer upside i think that's something when you see relievers coming up you rarely see a reliever on prospect lists unless they have the ability to be a lockdown reliever and that's what jordan leisure has his fastball is something else um it is really unbelievable um nastrini when i talked to him i talked to jordan leisure as well another guy that you can find an interview with on, on our network um it's just a just a dominant reliever um and 25 years old he's i i see really even more than nastrini i actually don't see any way that leisure's not on the opening day roster i think considering the status of the white Sox bullpen you've got gregory santos and you've got garrett crochet 
Beyond that, there's a lot of question marks. There's a lot of spots open for the taking. Leisure was sent to the Arizona Fall League for a reason. He dominated there, got a few more innings under his belt in October last year, um, was just excellent all, all the way through. Um, you know, he had a few shaky starts when he came over to Charlotte that, you know, inflated the ERA, which I, I don't read too much into that. I think that, you know, when you're only playing 15 games down the stretch of the team, two bad games as a reliever and that inflates your stats. But ultimately a guy that, you know, is going to strike out a lot of hitters, 23 strikeouts over 13 and a third innings down the, with Charlotte last year. And someone that should have every chance to, to earn a, not even just a spot, but a high leverage spot in the White Sox bullpen, like by the end of the season. Yeah, I agree. Uh, if you had to just pick two guys uh, who are going to make the White Sox next year, it's Nostrini and Leisure. Everyone else is, you know, it's a roll of the dice, but those yep. two guys are as good a bets as any. And for with good reason, you're right. Leisure, a uh, big time fastball. He was fun to watch in Charlotte last year. Yeah, definitely. Um, he's a guy who just, I mean, really top-notch fastball. The sliders continue to get better. I think he has worked on making sure that slider is, is intact so he can play it off the fastball. He's continued to develop a changeup a little bit, but he pretty much is a fastball slider guy. But when you're working out of the bullpen, you know, for an inning at a time like he does, his fastball slider combo is going to get the job done, and he's going to continue to be a really solid pitcher. I think he had an 80-grade fastball um, last year from Pipeline, one of the very few pitchers in all of baseball that had an 80-grade fastball. So, just about as good as a fastball as you can, you'll, you'll see really at the major league level, at any level of baseball. Um, and he's someone who I, I expect him to be at the opening day bullpen because he's, he's ready. He's, he's been ready. The White Sox acquired him as getting him as kind of a, you know, a throw in alongside Nestrini is already incredible in itself. I mean, I think that's really, really nice that they were able to get a, a true solid bullpen arm um, in addition to a guy who should be a starter in the rotation soon. So I'm excited to see what he's got to do. Uh, shifting over a little bit to, to some of the, the big names, for sure. Um, we'll start with uh, the top prospect in the White Sox system, recently named the number nine overall prospect in baseball by MLB Pipeline. He's a consensus top 20 guy across all publications, and that is Colson Montgomery. Um, it's going to be interesting. You know, the White Sox chose to decline Tim Anderson's option, coming off of a career worst year who's been the shortstop for the last, you know, eight years now almost. Um, and I think that was kind of telling that they, they don't, see Colson as being that far off. I think Colson had to deal with some injuries last year, um, so he didn't get a full season in Birmingham. But when he was healthy, he showed a lot of flashes. His approach is as good as just about anybody in the minor leagues. Um, he's really sophisticated with the bat for for someone that's only you know 21 years old right now. And in general, he's just got a really fun blend of hit tool. He's still growing into the power. He's got more power to kind of grow into. The, the fielding is something that he's continued to get better at. I think he... Early on, it was like, oh, is he going to stick at shortstop? Could he end up being a third baseman? Because he is kind of a bit, he's a tall guy. He's strong. Um, but, you know, he looks like the range is, the range keeps getting better at short. The arm is there for sure. He's just got to continue to clean some things up. He gets a little sloppy with his footwork sometimes at shortstop. But generally speaking, he looks like the shortstop of the White Sox in the near future. Um, Paul DeYoung was signed to be the kind of the, the stopgap per se, uh, once Anderson's option was declined. But Paul DeYoung is not stopping the Colson Montgomery train. Uh, so it really is going to come down to how many innings they believe, how many at-bats they need him to get at, you know, maybe he starts in Birmingham, but he could just start in, in Charlotte, frankly, after being in the AFL. It wouldn't surprise me just to see him start immediately in Charlotte. So it's just going to come down to how much time in AAA they want to give him and when they think he's really ready. But when when he's ready, he will be up and he will be starting at shortstop. It's just a matter of when, not if. Elijah, you know, let's be honest. We're really talking about all the moves that the White Sox are making in preparation of the 2025 season. Yep. 24, 2024 is going to be uh, a lost cause. 
you know, let's develop these players so that in 2025, they're ready to go and the White Sox are competitive. So given that, when do you see Colson getting his call up? What would you, what's your best guess? Yeah, I, I don't want it to be rushed. I think a lot of people are like kind of expecting, you know, a midseason call up. And I think that's possible, but you have to remember that he didn't have a full season last year. He is coming off an Arizona Fall League where he was good, but he showed some some issues at times with the swing. He struck out a little more. He got a little he kind of tested out being a little bit more of an aggressive hitter compared to his normal style. And it did cause some struggle at times. Um, I think again, the numbers are great last year, right? Even in a, even in limited time, right? He was absolutely dominant um, in his brief stints at rookie ball and then in Winston-Salem last year when he was coming back from his injury. In Birmingham, he slowed down a little bit, but he's still a guy that that walks a ton. He's got a hit tool. He's consistent as it comes um, at the plate with his approach. So I, I think maybe August is kind of where I'm at right now. Um, I think there's a world where he just dominates in, the, in AAA and he just forces the hand to the White Sox and he's up in June or July. I think, you know, the last month or two of the season is more realistic because again, like you said, this is not about 2024. This team, by all means, is probably one of the worst teams in baseball next year. And I hope I'm wrong, and I hope that there's a lot that goes differently. But this is a building year. It's a growth year. It's about seeing the development of these guys. So I would put him at about an August uh, arrival. Where are you at with that, Jeff? That sounds about right. But there's another question I have for you that kind of plays into this, which is how long are they likely to keep him in Charlotte? Because it seems when the top prospects come through – Tim Anderson, Luis, Robert, Robert, they they aren't in Charlotte more than a month. I mean, for whatever reason, the yeah. White Sox move these guys quickly That's, when they come to Charlotte. And I would think Colson would be the same way. So I think, uh, I think you're right, but I think that's part of why he does start in Birmingham um, because I know yeah. I think a lot of people are expecting him to start in Charlotte, but because of that, I think he will start in Birmingham. Um, he's got a really good relationship with Nikki Delmonico, who's the hitting coach, former White Sox, um, down in Birmingham. I got to talk to Nikki, and Nikki was talking a little bit about his development and kind of just where he's at as a hitter, and I think he's he was really trending the right direction throughout this season um, once he got healthy and when he was on the field. So I think they want to, I, I think he starts in Birmingham because of that and because he's comfortable there and he got kind of a feel there last year. And I think once he's kind of in that rhythm for a month or two, then it's Charlotte. Then, like you said, it's probably not more than a month or two in Charlotte. So because of that, I think it's, he starts in Birmingham, probably goes April, May in Birmingham, goes to Charlotte in June. If he kills it, he's up at all-star break in July. If there's a little bit more of a learning curve, they give him a little more and he's up in August. There may be, I mean, maybe a little later, but I, I, I think, I think before the all-star break in mid-July would be a little bit unnecessary. If he's crushing it, by all means, he's going to be up. But I don't think it's necessary, and I think because he's still only 22 years old right now, we've got time. The the time is on his side, I I think. I mean, he's not even 22, actually. Pardon me. He's going to be 22 before the season, but he's still only 21 right now. So uh, plenty of time. Um, I think late season is realistic. Um, and that takes us into the next guy who's kind of on the same pathway, I would say, um, you know, considered to be the second best infield prospect, um, you know, main infield prospect and, and Brian Ramos, who was also in Birmingham last year, got a late start to the season due to an injury. So that, you know, Birmingham was missing both those guys early in the season. But once you came back, when once they both got settled in the second half of the season, you saw a totally different Birmingham offense because of those two hitters primarily um, and a few other guys that got promoted. So, 
you know, Ramos is an international signing who really just, who took off in 2022, kind of started to show those signs of being, you know, a pretty elite prospect um, and a pretty top tier guy. When he was in Winston-Salem in 2022, he was phenomenal. And then last year, you know, he got a little bit of a rehab stint in Kannapolis, but spent the entire, his entire season once he was healthy with Birmingham and, you know, an 826 OPS with 14 home runs across his 77 games um, in Birmingham. And this is a guy who just gap to gap strength, a lot of power. He really could tap into more of that power. I think he had 22 home runs in 2022 in his fully healthy season that year. So this is a guy who I think you, you could project, you know, realistic 2025 home run power for Ramos at the major league level. He's strong. The arm is excellent at third base. And, you know, Yohan Moncada's contract is up at the end of this year. So I think, like you said, this is all a game for 2025. And Brian Ramos most likely will be the starting third baseman in 2025. So another guy that I think, you know, late in the season, if he's performing, you, you give him the call. And it's going to be a really, really fun time if we get to see both Ramos and, and Montgomery on the left side of the infield towards the end of the season. And would you guess that Ramos is probably on the same schedule as Montgomery open in Birmingham, maybe come up to Charlotte for one or two months? That's my guess. Um, I think, again, there's a chance one of them, either either of them could make it, could start in Charlotte because they both were in the Arizona Fall League. They both performed pretty well. They both, you know, coming off of injured seasons last year, they both got healthy, got themselves in rhythm. Um, I think there's a chance, but generally speaking, I think they both start in Birmingham and then they pretty quickly make their way to Charlotte. And you're looking at both of them being late season call-ups in a way where, you know, they would inject some really, really exciting pop into that lineup. And two guys that, you give them a taste so that come 2025, they're ready to be every single day players for the White Sox. Right. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's exciting. Um, you know, yeah. okay, so we'll, we'll do, we'll touch on a few more guys here briefly. Um, what I want to do is Jose Rodriguez. You know, the second base situation for the White Sox has not been very fun over the last few years. It's been a mixture of a lot of different players. It's going to be the same this coming season. You know, Nicky Lopez was added. Brendan Shoemake uh, from the Braves was added also in the same trade as Lopez. You know, you've got Lenin Sosa, you've got a handful of other guys, and you've got Jose Rodriguez, um, who was someone that I got to see in Birmingham and is a high energy player, has some nice little power speed combo, continues to struggle with his approach a little bit. I think kind of last year you were hoping to see some growth in that realm, and I don't think I saw a ton of it. Um, the strikeout rate's still a little too high, and he still has some hesitancies to, to get a little off of his kind of style at times. Um, I do, I, I see a world where, you know, he could be in the major leagues this year. I think because second base is so open for the taking, if he performs well, we could see him in, in, you know, Chicago at some point, but ultimately Rodriguez is a guy that I think is probably more of a bench player than an everyday starter at the big league level. Um, where are you at with him? And do you think, you know, he could be up early in the season? I, I kind of am not sure when I see him making his way to Chicago. Well, you know, it's almost like uh, Jacob Gonzalez. I just kind of discount uh, Jose Rodriguez's time in Charlotte last year. You know, he, he really didn't do a lot, but he yeah. was just getting his feet wet in AAA, and I'm curious to see what he does this year. And, yeah, I think he could easily um, find himself in Chicago next year because 2024 is the year to find out what they have in him. So call him up and let's you know see what he can do. Yeah. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting. I think with second base being so wide open, there's no reason not to give him a chance with all those other guys. I think Sosa will get a chance. I think Shoemaker will get a chance. Nicky Lopez will be kind of the rotating utility infielder for the team. So I think there's, there's 
an opening there and there's a chance for him to prove something. So I think at some point in the season, he'll get some serious run at second base. And I'd hope, I hope he takes advantage of it. Cause you know, 21 home runs last year, right? This guy's got some pop, especially at second base at a position that's not necessarily a power spot. Um, he's got some serious power. He's got some speed, you know, 31 stolen bases last year, 40 the year before. So kind of a fun player to keep an eye on and someone that is, you know, hasn't taken a huge step forward in the last year or two, but could still be a piece for the White Sox, um, you know, this season and have a chance to earn some reps. We'll briefly talk two more pitchers uh, that are not quite the same uh, trajectory as Nestrini or Leisure, but two guys that we could see in, in certain situations. Uh, that's Christian Mena and Jake Eater. Uh, Mena is a guy who is still really young, has kind of been fast-tracked through the system, um, and is someone that also finished the season with Nestrini in Charlotte last year after looking really good at times in Birmingham. Uh, the stuff is there. The thing with Mena is that the fastball continues to be an issue. His fastball just got beat up last year a lot of the times. Um, he's got a really, really fun slider and curveball kind of pairing with two breaking balls that both work effectively and both have very different pitch shapes. The fastball can be a little flat at times. He's got some ride on it. I think he really needs to focus, from what I've seen, on a little bit more just, just kind of leaning into being a movement pitcher. I think when he's moving his stuff, it's at his best. When he gets a little too consistent with throwing fastballs, that's when he got hit around a little bit last year. So uh, I think Mayna's a guy who he's still really young. And he, yes, he got all the way up to Charlotte last year, but I don't know that he's quite ready. I think they, the White Sox have fast-tracked him so far, but I would like to see them be a little patient with him this season. And then Jake Eater was a, was acquired last season at the deadline in the Jake Perger trade that uh, – I, I, at the time, was a huge fan of, and a lot of White Sox fans hated, and I don't think many people appreciated that I was a fan of that trade. Um, but in in hindsight, you know, I think Eater, while he struggled last year, is still a really fun arm. He was one of the better left-handed pitching prospects in baseball a few years ago. Went Had Tommy John, had a broken foot, dealt with a lot of stuff, and just really was trying to get his body back in shape last year. And then in the Arizona Fall League, you saw some more signs of him looking a little more comfortable, and I think this year he's – He's an older prospect, so he's going to have a chance if he performs well throughout the year to make it to Chicago later in the season. Uh, it's just going to come down with both these guys, you know, a little bit more consistency, a little bit more command. Um, and there's a world where we see either of them at the major league level next year. Yeah, I would imagine. Yeah, we, we saw Mena already in Charlotte. I suspect he'll be back. I'm sure we'll see either yeah. there sooner than later. So we should get a, a, a good look at them uh, next year. And, you know, I'm with you. Uh, Jake Berger was the nicest guy I've ever interviewed in trip yeah. in the minor leagues. And it was a phenomenal story and easy to pull for him. But I mean, you've got a chance to get a guy like Jake Eater. I think you go for it. So uh, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. I'm with you on that one as well. It's, it's tricky and it's a hard decision and it's unfortunate because I know Berger looked great last year and Eater struggled last year. Right. But that's, it's not just that. It's not that simple. I think right. I have talked about this on this podcast many times. You got to look beyond the stat line sometimes, and you got to look at the upside of players and give them some time and be patient sometimes. Uh, I get it. Either is 25 years old. You know, he's an older prospect, uh, but it's a guy that has shown really, really elite stuff at times. And I think if his body's right and he's feeling good coming into the season, he could impress at Charlotte and we could see him in Chicago, you know, mid to late season for sure. So I think both these guys are going to be fun to watch. They're both, you know, top 10 prospects in the White Sox system. Uh, so there's two more pitchers that later in the season alongside Nasrini and Leisure, who should be up earlier. It's four guys that could be really exciting pitchers to watch and for a team that needs pitching. So, you know, we'll, we'll keep an eye on all these guys. We're going to continue to talk about every single player on this list, uh, but that's just kind of a, a general idea of some of these prospects that we should see in Chicago. 
Uh, so for everybody that listened, we appreciate you listening to us. And we are going to be bringing the Future Sox Roundup to you every week moving forward this season. Um, we're going to have tons of different prospect content. We'll have reactions from Jeff, who's going to be in person. We're going to have some interviews, hopefully, with some players. And we're really just going to dive into the minor leagues, focus on the results of games, focus on how guys are performing, who's moving up levels, and all other minor league you know, farm system news. So, uh, Jeff, thank you for joining me for our first episode together. Everybody can follow Jeff at Triple A Jeff on Twitter. You can follow me at Elijah EV8. Um, and we're going to be bringing you top-notch White Sox minor league content all season, and we cannot wait. So thank you, Jeff. Thanks, Elijah. Look forward to talking again next week. I'm excited as well.